welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer podcast. I'm Richard, your announcer, coming to you again wherever you happen to be on this beautiful day. Biblical Truth Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1 And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Hebrews 11.6 Resultant exhortation, encouragement, and our soul's assurance. The Bible teaches that prayer is the chief and perpetual exercise of faith. Prayer cannot help but express the hope and joy that are inevitably attached to faith. John Calvin Our purpose, igniting a growing, biblical, dynamic, sincere, soul-satisfying communion with our Savior. And now, once again, here's your host, Fred. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Fred, back here again. And still, by the grace of God, I am the host of this program. And we, like everyone, you all out there, and actually all God's people, forever, by faith, are trusting Him in every single circumstance. God's providence rules in the minutest detail. I'm sure you know that, but just as a reminder. And even with the very words of Jesus, God supersedes the protection of His Word every jot and tittle. Those are just the little punctuation marks in God's Word. And he says, Jesus, that God is going to supersede every jot and tittle until everything comes to pass. And it's the same way in our lives as we understand Him. We understand that none of even the smallest details of our lives are out of His control. Thank you, Jesus. When we began, as you may recall, this podcast on prayer, we talked about the fact that my goal was for it to bear fruit long after I am gone, long after I die and go to heaven. And I didn't know it would have any kind of impact right now. By God's grace, it has. In God's providence, we, as a two-man band here, myself and Richard, we are also pressed to trust in that providence, in His loving kindness for everything Obviously, prayer is the most important thing in my life after salvation and after living in obedience or trying to live in obedience to Him. And so we trust, even though it there are times when we go for stretches without being able to get an episode out, that His purpose is being done. And in the future, as well as right now, the podcast, the teaching, is going to reach everyone God intends and is going to fulfill His purpose, because we also know His Word does not come back void. So thank you for listening. If you are listening in this moment, and after a couple of weeks of being gone, I do appreciate you listening and your patience as we fight through circumstances to finish the course of this podcast. And as always, we submit our two pennies, our widow's might, stealing from the Word of God again, to His glory and His purpose. that he would reach his children with his intended word, and that you and I would learn to pray together. Let's bow. 
thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day. We thank you that you are the Father of all intention, and your purpose will be done on this earth. I also thank you, Lord Jesus, that by your grace, according to your purpose, you have made a covenant, a promise, with your lowly slave. You told me you would teach me your word. You told you tell us you will teach us your word. And we know that that's true because we learn. But you've made that promise with a poor man, with a destitute man, someone who can never pay you back, only bow before you in humility and thankfulness for the God of glory and the God of all mercies. Jesus, our Savior, you have founded, you have established this covenant, these promises in thy blood. You have made me known, know your salvation. And we do pray, all of us pray, that we would enter into that salvation and that we will do your will. I do bow before you as we do, at least before every podcast, if not in the prayer of the podcast, to ask that you would visit us in a supernatural way. Holy God, come down, condescend to come down to everyone who listens whenever they listen, that your will will be accomplished and your people will pray, will learn of thee and will bow before you and pray and communicate with you until thou dost return or take us home. We bless you and thank you, Holy Ghost, that you lead us. You superseded God's word. You supersede the teaching of that. So we bow before you as well and just pray that you would teach us today. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, come down, talk to us, so our love for you will grow and our prayer lives will grow, and in turn we will give you more glory for the eternal life we experience while we are sojourning here. Thank you, Jesus. Again, we commit this time to you because of your blood shed on our behalf and our salvation. To you be the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes life hurts. Maybe the majority of times life hurts at least a little bit. I think it is attributed to Mark Twain, who said, every man, every person live out, lives out a quiet life of desperation. And we understand that even in our salvation, we understand that we fight the flesh and the world and the world system. And we beg to be renewed by his word. And we know as children of God, we are taught by the word of God that our world is fallen. That's a given. And because of that, and because of our fallenness, sometimes life just hurts. It may be an event in your life. It may be just a struggle, a daily struggle with some infirmity that you have. It might be a season that you are sad or sorrowful or afraid. And it might be fear, just plain fear, even fear in the moment. But our emotions sometimes are so deep and so profound, we can concentrate on little else. Whenever in the past I have had a chance to counsel people who are dealing with people who are in the depth of despairs, of despair, I always counsel that. On the initial tragedy or on the initial hurt, there's a space of time when we can think of nothing else but that tragedy or that hurt. And in those times, we don't need a lot of words. We just need someone to come alongside 
and quietly sit and weep with us. Even Mary needed Jesus just to weep with her. And there are moments or seasons when no word seems to help. I learned that many years ago. I think I've mentioned it a time or two and will mention it in the next few weeks when my dad died. It was sudden. It was my first bout with a real tragedy. And for a time, no words, no comfort helped. I was just sad. And you may have experienced that already. If not, you will experience it. And I always think of Joseph when I think of this circumstance, what he was promised by God, what he believed by faith and knew in his soul was going to happen, what he must have felt like, what he must have thought as he was carried away off to a foreign land as a slave, as he was betrayed by an unfaithful woman and put in jail. What could he have been thinking? There had to be a time when his emotion was so deep and his confusion so profound that he just didn't know what to say. We are coming today in this lesson Jesus teaches prayer from the depths, we called it. We are coming to one of those situations, and it involves the life of Peter. It's in Matthew 14. If you want to look there, you can find it. And you've heard, heard the story. You, you have heard the story if you've been saved for any amount of time at all. But Jesus fed 5,000 men, maybe 10,000 people in Matthew 14, and then he sent them away, and then he made his disciples, it says. Well, let's read it. Matthew 14, 22 through 23, and immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. The very next verse tells us a circumstance that we are all familiar familiar with, but the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, so the wind was contrary. And we know from Mark 4, in a very similar passage earlier, that these experienced fishermen, their trade was on the this little ocean, this little sea. They were not, but they were not beyond being fearful in this great storm. As a matter of fact, they probably knew better the dangers of a storm like this than we would ever know. And we might be fearful, but they knew exactly what might lay in store. So they were fearful here. And as they were rowing, trying to accomplish God's will, Jesus came, and not for the only time in scripture, but he came to them walking on the water through the storm. And at first, as you can read later, he, the disciples thought it was a ghost. But when they realized it was Jesus, Peter's impetuous desire took over. And he said, Lord, bid me to come to you. If it's really you, I want to be where you are. And Jesus said, come on out. The water's stormy. Come on out. And he did. And you know, verse 30 says, but seeing the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. I love this story for a couple of reasons. Peter had faith to get out of the boat. I love that most of all. A quick summary then. Jesus sent his disciples away across the water alone without him. He knew, we know Jesus knew what was going to happen. 
He knew the storm was coming. He knew they were going to have trouble, but he sent them out anyway. And as to first point here that I would like to make just real quickly is even though they were facing that storm, they were not out of God's will. He knew that storm was coming and he knew how tough it was going to be. And so when they were far out enough, it says many stadia away. I think in some I think in some of the parallel passages, it says about how far they were out, which was at least three miles, as I recall. But they're out there. They're doing his will. They're in a storm. They're afraid. And here he comes. And he came out walking on the water to them to display for them his love, his care, and his deity. You might think maybe that's a trick that he walked on the water. But what he was about to do was no trick. And Peter, again, by faith, although it was impulsive, he dared to follow the example of his master. And his master was no normal rabbi. And after all, we've talked about this a little bit, we want to be like the teachers we love. And so Peter said, call me to come out to you. And he did. And then all of a sudden, he started to sink. He started to look around him and say, wait a minute, I can't do this. I'm walking on water in the midst of a storm, and I'm going to drown. And he cried out this prayer, Lord, save me. That's all the prayer he needed. Lord, save me. And Jesus grabbed him and picked him up, and they walked together back to the boat. Now, in Peter's life, he was walking by faith, and his faith was not the problem. His faith was interrupted by experience. Peter was sinking in the storm, and his absolute fear, again, was not because of what he knew by faith. He knew by faith Jesus could take care of him. He believed by faith that he had a future with Jesus at this point, still, which was true. So he knew by faith at least those two things. But what happened was his faith in what he could not see was flooded by the experience of of what he could see and what he did know. As an experienced fisherman, he knew what he was doing was not physically possible, and he knew the storm would wash him over and swallow him up. Perhaps you've been to the ocean. I like it. I liked it a few times going to the ocean and went out into the water a few times, and there was a few times when the waves would wash over me and I would be tumbling, not even knowing which way was up until the waves went out after they'd come into the shore. So that's what he knew, that he was in danger. Lord, save me. And I love that passage. I love that he had the faith to get out and walk. And I even loved his example that sometimes we fail in our walk of faith, but it's not anything that God does not know about and that God has not planned for and that God will not answer. And I love this. I want to take this little side really quick. What about the walk back to the boat? We're not told what Jesus told Peter. God did not reveal that to us. But a few years ago, I read a book called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And really quickly, when a sheep gets cast down, that means fallen, all the way on their side, they can't get back up. It's impossible for them to get back up. And they usually get cast down, according to this shepherd, because they walk away from the flock and they're tempted by some maybe green grass somewhere 
or something that they see and they get, they fall over in a rut. They get kind of tripped and they fall over in the rut and they can't get back up. And if they do not have a good shepherd who does not go searching for them, they will die. They will slowly die in that state. Their gases build up in their stomach because they're upside down. And pretty soon it cuts off the circulation. So it's a long agonizing demise for those sheep. But he tells in that book, A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, of what a good shepherd does. And we have that picture of Jesus walking as a shepherd with a sheep over his shoulder and the legs in front of of Jesus' chest, which is a depiction of what a good shepherd does. He goes and finds his sheep, even though they're cast down, even though they were dumb and they went off to find something better than the flock, perhaps. And he gently picks up the sheep and he puts them over his shoulder. And as they're walking back, because the sheep can't stand anymore if it's been out long enough, no blood is in its legs. So the good shepherd walks with the shepherd over his shoulder and takes the shepherd, the sheep, back to the flock, rubbing the blood back into, massaging the blood back into the sheep's legs. And all the time, this author says, the shepherd is chiding the sheep. He's talking to the sheep. He's telling them not to be so foolish. And we can only imagine what Peter's good shepherd said to him, those comforting words, as Peter probably felt like a failure. Uh, One of the things one of the pastors that I love pointed out years ago was he was the only one who would get out of the boat. So in that sense, he was a success. But in his own mind, he had to be a failure. He had sunk. He had lost his faith. And exactly what Jesus told him, I don't know, but I do know it was comforting, loving words that taught Peter a lesson. And when we hurt, whatever the circumstances, when we are deluged, or maybe crushed would be a less punny word to use, and all we can do is groan under the weight of our need or our fear or our sadness or our sickness, or a prolonged season, when all we can do is groan, our plea should be only one thought. In fact, it should constrain us. Lord, save me. I don't understand. I don't get it. Lord, save me. And that takes time as we grow and we learn eternal life, as we experience eternal life, learning about the Father, the only true God, and the Son whom he sent in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to learn that. It takes time. But our ultimate goal, which is what I am talking about today, is that when those things happen, fear, sadness, sickness, hurting, pain, or a bad season, our goal is to call out, Lord, save me first and not last. Not after we tried everything else. Not after we tried to swim back to the boat or call out for another boat or call for one of those floaty things lifesavers that they throw out, that our first cry is, Lord, save me. He is, after all, the God of our salvation, our good shepherd, and our faith needs to reside in him, not our experience as a fisherman. All the tricks a fisherman might have used to save himself were of no good, and we need to learn that and call out, because he hears our cries, he knows our heart, 
As Spurgeon has reminded us several times over the last four years, God is not impressed by our vocabulary or our eloquence, but of the cries of our hearts. And he listens. And you have heard some of my prayers, and you have heard some of those that may seem excessively long. I love to be in God's presence. I love to be pouring my heart out for to him. I love to be praising him for his goodness and his glory in my life and all the wonderful things he's done. And I spend hours every day in that employment. But we need to know in those times when it hurts and we don't know what else to say, he hears our prayers and he answers. And he doesn't need a ton. Mark 9, the boy came and asked Jesus if he might heal his son. And Jesus said, all things are possible for him who has faith, who believes. Mark 9, 24 says, immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help thou my unbelief. Six words. And his son was healed. In Luke 18, we've seen this before as well. The tax gatherer goes into the temple and standing a distance away from the righteous Pharisees, doesn't even lift up his eyes to the heavens, but beats his own breast and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Six words. Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And if you'll recall, the other made a pretty lengthy prayer about his own righteousness and his own goodness before God. The verse finishes off with, For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And then maybe the most evocative prayer in all of Scripture, because we know the pain, because we know the ugliness, because we know the desperation of crucifixion. In Luke 23, verse 46, And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Eight words. And then he breathed his his last. And it tells us in Hebrews that he knew the full joy that was set before him in his earthly life because he accomplished his person, his purpose, the salvation of sinners. The sheep brought back to the sheepfold. When you can do nothing else, we cry out to God, as Peter did. Lord, save me. What did Peter learn from Jesus? I don't really know. Nobody knows. At least I didn't find it in the scripture myself. But the good shepherd may have been chiding him, may have been rebuking Peter for his lack of faith. But if he was, it was a gentle rebuke by a Savior who knew the weakness of Peter and who still had a plan for Peter. And his plan was to make Peter Stand, and stand, Peter did. When he wrote the book of First Peter, and he gave a long string of what trials do for us along several verses, he says this in verse 8, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly with rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Thank you, Jesus. And I am telling you from my soul, as we desire to know God more and more, prayer is the path to that knowledge while we are in the flesh in our earthly sojourn. He hears 
And if even all you can say is, I believe, help on my unbelief, be merciful to me, a sinner. I commit my hand, my future, my all to your spirit. In these moments of deepest pain, we have a reason to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory because God is going to show himself to us. He's going to walk us back to the boat with gentle words of encouragement and rebuke so that we can go on and finish our course. What a glorious God. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this truth from your word. I thank you, Son, that you made a way for us to call out. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you move. And even in this moment, my heart is broken for all those hurting times when I didn't call out to you first. But I thank you that you are teaching and that more and more I cry out to you and I look to you when you ask me to do impossible things that I can't do by myself. And you have asked all of us to do that, to love our enemies, to pray for our enemies, to not take revenge, holy God. You have asked us, and in these times of tumult in our lives, when we don't know what's going on and we couldn't have imagined this season, as we call out to you, we know you will answer. And so we bless you and we thank you and we pray that you would train us through discipline, through your word, through your love, through the power of the Holy Spirit to call out, Lord, save me. I believe, help thou my unbelief. Thank you for this time we commit it to you, knowing that only you can bear the fruit that may need to happen. Do your will. Thank you that this is an exercise of faith and not futility to the glory of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We commit this to you, washed in the blood of Christ, moved by you, Holy Ghost, to do the will of the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Stick around at the end of this episode, and you will hear In the Garden by Chad Marvin and Joanna Chapman. I love them. Maybe from now on we'll play one of their songs or parts of their songs through the podcast. But I do thank you for listening. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Be blessed, my beloved family, and let us pray for one another. Still on the 
As always, thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you. 
at www.frponprayer.com or freerangeprayer at gmail.com. And for all your voiceover needs, go to richarddurrington.com or durringtonr at gmail.com. Keep your dial here for our next episode. And if you have a dial, you just might need an upgrade. For Fred and I, have yourself a prayerfully fun-filled day.